the end-time players, <clears throat> and what the prophecies have to say about them. And today I want to take a longer look at Tyre, because it is mentioned quite prominently in several <clears throat> passages. In fact, several chapters are devoted to Tyre. What are we to make of that? What is modern-day Tyre? Was this just a prophecy that was fulfilled in the past when Nebuchadnezzar scraped Tyre into the sea? <clears throat> or is there something <clears throat> that it has to do with today? I want to get a little bit of a background. Our ancient Tyre was up on the coast of Israel, uh, on the coast of present-day Lebanon today. But let's notice in Joshua 19... start with uh, Joshua 19. <clears throat> Here God is allocating land to Israel, and I want to pick this up in about verse 24. <clears throat> and the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families. And then he goes through several verses here explaining where the borders of the tribe of Asher would be. I'm not going to read all of those for sake of time, but skip down to verse 29, where it says, And then the coast turns to Ramah, and to the strong city Tyre, and the coast turns to Hosa, and the outgoings thereof are at the sea from the coast to Agzip. And then it mentions some more, and said this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher, in verse 31. <clears throat> These cities with their villages. Now, I don't know necessarily that he's including Tyre here as a city, as being a part of Israel, but it may very well have been. <clears throat> Certainly the border of the tribe of Asher went to the coast of Tyre. Right up to it, it was listed as part of the border. And it does say here in verse 31 that these families, or these are according to their families, these cities with their villages, and then goes on to the next tribe. <clears throat> so, Tyre was either right at the border of Israel, or may have been in the original allocation even included as a part of Israel. Second Samuel 5 now. Second Samuel, let's go there to chapter 5. Second Samuel 5, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spoke, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. So they're pledging their allegiance to King David. <clears throat> and all Israel came to him. He was at age 30 there in verse 4. Uh, verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. And let's go down verse 10. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So here is a close association <clears throat> between Israel and the king of Tyre, Hiram. And that is mentioned several times. I won't read them all for sake of time. 
But it's easy to see that David and Solomon were very, very closely associated with the king of Tyre. Was he possibly even Israelite? I don't know. That's a question. But I checked the Bible dictionaries and some historians, and it is recorded there that Tyre was a Phoenician city. And years ago, in some of the research that was done in Pasadena, uh, there were indications that many of the Phoenician sailors were Israelite, and that even Carthage itself, over on the African coast, which was a Phoenician city, <coughs> was possibly an outpost of Israel and a city controlled by Israelites. Um, I don't know that there is any direct connection I can make, but it may very well be that Tyre had many, many Israelites in it, and people from Tyre came into Israel as well. Let's look at a few more scriptures to underscore that. First Kings 7, First Kings 7. <coughs> Excuse me, a little bit of a frog in my throat today. I know it's unclean, but I can't seem to spit it out. First uh, Kings 7, in here, Solomon's building, and uh, Hiram was also associated with Solomon very closely. First Kings 7, 14 is what I want to read, though. Uh, verse 13, And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass, and he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cutting to work all works in brass, and he came to King Solomon and wrought all his works. Interesting connection there, an Israelite being a man of Tyre. Is this talking about Hiram himself or a widow's son uh, who was Hiram of Tyre. It almost indicates that, but I'm not sure that's what it's saying. Notice 2 Chronicles 2. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 2 ties in with this. 2 Chronicles 2. And here I want verse 14. Verse 13, And now I have sent a cunning man, endued with understanding of Huram, my father's, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre. So here's a woman, the son of a woman of Dan, the tribe of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre. So here's a direct marriage and a connection with Tyre made right here. Skillful to work in gold and in silver and brass and iron and stone and in timber and purple and blue and in fine linen and in crimson, also to grave any manner of graving, and to find out every device which shall be put to him with your cunning men, and with the cunning men of my Lord David your father. Now, let's notice 1 Kings 9. 1 Kings 9, and here, let's see what verse do I want. He's talking to Solomon. <coughs> And it said that in verse, into verse 5, there shall not fail you a man upon the throne of Israel in the line of David, as we know. Verse 7, well, let's, let's read verse 6. But if you shall at all turn from following me, you are your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Has Israel done that today? 
This was written to ancient Israel, but is, is it a prophecy also of Israel today? I think you could say that we have followed all kinds of other gods. So the principle certainly applies to us. <clears throat> then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. It certainly became that when they went into captivity, and we are again about to go into captivity, if we understand all the prophecies about Israel correctly, and we will again be a proverb to all people. And at this house, which is high, everyone that passes by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss and boo. And they shall say, Why has the Eternal done this to this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Eternal their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore has the Eternal brought upon them all this evil. And it came to pass at the end of twenty years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Eternal and the king's house. Now Hiram the king of Tyre had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and with gold according to all his desire. Hiram had given Solomon everything that Solomon wanted. Pretty close connection, huh? How many people do you know that will give you everything you want? Especially if they're foreigners. How close a connection did we have here? <clears throat> and Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they plead... Oh, wait a minute, I, I missed part of this. According to all his desire in verse 11, last part of verse 11, that then King Solomon gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. He gave the king of Tyre twenty cities in the, right in the middle of Israel. Just gave them to him. How would you like that if you were an inhabitant of one of those cities, if this were a foreign power, and you were given to the king of Tyre? And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. <laughs> he didn't like those. And he said, What cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Cable unto this day. And my margin... Uh, Cable means displeasing or dirty. They weren't the best cities of Israel, apparently, and Hiram wasn't too happy with them. But notice verse 14, And Hiram sent to the king six score talents of gold. He wasn't really happy with what Solomon gave him, but he sent him six talents, or six score talents of gold anyway. Well, all I want to make here is the connection, not the whole context of what is going on here. But certainly there was trading back and forth very closely between Israel and Tyre. And Tyre was a magnificent merchant city to begin with. I won't turn to these. I'll just refer to them. Ezra 3.7, when they built the temple, when they came out of Babylon, they got cedars from Tyre to build a temple. So this is something that was a continuing thing. The original temple that David and Solomon brought materials to build and Solomon finally built in large part came from Tyre and now when the temple was rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity again the cedars came from Tyre showing that there was a very close approximation. 
<coughs> Nehemiah 13, 16. Maybe I will turn to this one because it, it chronicles what we have just been talking about a little bit. Nehemiah, uh, let's see, I want chapter 13. Nehemiah 13. Now this is a passage about the Sabbath down in verse 15. Some people were trading wine on the Sabbath and they were uh, selling victuals and so on on the Sabbath, which should not have been done. Uh, verse 16, There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Uh, remember, Asher was given right up to Tyre, if not including it, but these men were bringing uh, victuals and so on into Jerusalem and selling them to the Jews there, a different tribe, but they dwelt in Jerusalem. So there's a great deal of back and forth in here uh, between Israel and Tyre. Now I want to go to Psalm 45. This is an interesting passage. Psalm 45. Let's notice the context of these particular psalms in chapter 44, <clears throat> before we get to 45. This is speaking of Israel here. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work you did in their days in the times of old, how you did drive out the heathen with your hand and planted them, how you did afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither, neither did their own arm save them, but your right hand. We, at this end time, should be looking for the right hand of God to save us, not to our own devices. And the light of your countenance, because you had a favor to them. You are my king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. Through you will we push down our enemies. Through your name will we tread them under that rise up against us. I could tie in Micah 4 and Revelation 11 with this, showing that God is going to cause the nations to wilt before the church. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me, <clears throat> but you have saved us from our enemies, and have put them to shame that hated us. Now this could apply spiritually to the church, we have been put down, we are hated, we're going to be hated even more and more, and that hatred is going to become known, and of course Israel at this end time is also hated. Uh, we will be delivered first as spiritual Israel, and physical Israel will be delivered from their enemies later after they have also been trodden down. I read an interesting editorial last night uh, in a news magazine, I think it was U.S. News, uh, about people's attitudes toward America and how we have been hated, people have been jealous of uh, us for decades now and it has gotten worse over the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, and then there was an outpouring of sympathy when 911 happened. But the point of the article was nothing really changed. They were sympathetic for a day, you know, for a very short period of time, and quickly got over that, and now they hate us just as much as they ever did. And that hatred is now deepening even more. 
since we now have a policy of preemptive strikes into other lands if we don't like what is going on there. So the hatred is now even worse. And it's, you know, it sort of reminds me of how it is in the Church of God today. Uh, people will hardly speak to one another if they're in different branches of the church. And then there's a wedding or a funeral, and they come together, and everybody says, Hi, how are you? Good to see you again. And then they go out and don't speak anymore. That's often the way it is. And that's the way it is in physical Israel today as well. Uh, we had a more or less funeral situation there in New York City, and then they backed off and went right back to the same old attitudes that they had beforehand. Uh, verse 11, you have given us like sheep appointed for meat and have scattered us among the heathen. You could say that of the church. You could say it physically of Israel pretty soon now. You sell your people for nothing and do not increase your wealth by their price. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. You make us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. I think that this is a very prophetic passage about what is about to happen to physical Israel now that it has happened to spiritual Israel. It's already occurred to us. This is history in, in terms of the church, at least in part, although our troubles are not over. <clears throat> Verse 15, my confusion is continually before me and the shame of my face has covered me. I think that's current events in the church. For the voice of him that reproaches and blasphemes by reason of the enemy and avenger, all this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten you, neither have we dealt falsely in your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from your way. We've been punished, haven't we? We've been chastened, and yet here we are still. Though you have sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Remember what we were talking about last week? God pondering our hearts, God knowing our thoughts, wondering about us, checking us out. Yes, for your sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. <clears throat> Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Does it seem like God is asleep a lot of times now to the church? And the church is crying out and nothing seems to be happening? Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaves to the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. Now, he continues the thought here. It may be a separate psalm, but the thought continues. Here we are in distress, but he changes it a little and says, My heart is indicting a good matter, or my, my heart boils up, or bubbles up in the Hebrew, of a good matter. In other words, I'm turning to something here that is good. And does not God often do that when he chastens or he gives a dire prophecy toward Israel, then he turns it around and gives us encouragement right afterward. Seems he always does that. 
So he says, my heart is bubbling up with a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. This is something that I want to tell you about. You are fairer than the children of men. He's going to be talking about the bride here in the church. Grace is poured into your lips. Is grace poured into the lips of anyone out in this world? Don't think so. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O most mighty, with your glory and your majesty. We're wailing for God to awake, to quit sleeping, to turn his face to us at the end of chapter 44. And now he rises. That reminds me of Zechariah 2, the end of the chapter, where it says that he rises to go about his work, to get this thing going. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. Aren't we not told, are we not told over and over and over again that our focus right now ought to be on truth, meekness, and righteousness. That is throughout all the prophecies. And your right hand shall teach awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby your people fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of their, your kingdom is a right scepter. So we're looking forward to God's kingdom here. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness above your fellows. Speaking of Christ here. He's speaking of the bride in conjunction with Christ. And all your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made you glad. King, king's daughters were among your honorable women. Remember the Song of Songs, how all the other daughters were around? King's daughters, and yet there was one that was the fairest of all. Uh, also, you could tie in Proverbs 31, where it says that in so many words. King's daughters were among your honorable women. Upon your right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. God is going to dress his bride up. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget also your own people and your father's house. Are we not told by Jesus Christ in the Gospels that we are to leave father, mother, brother, sister, uh, husband, wife even, lands, farms, for his sake. And he tells us right here to do that very thing. To forget your own people and your father's house. Come to our real father's house. It's hard for people to get this message, but it's in here. <clears throat> so shall the king greatly desire your beauty. You could tie in many, many scriptures there to show how Jesus Christ will desire the beauty of his bride. Why is it we have so much trouble giving up physical relatives, physical things on this earth, and doing what God wants us to do? Now verse 12, And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. When God dresses his bride, the daughter of Tyre will be there with a gift. 
Even the rich among the people shall entreat your favor. The daughter of Tyre will not be a part, but she'll be there with a gift. All the daughters will look to those whom God has chosen. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. Could this be anything but the church? She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought to you. Again, it reminds me of the Song of Songs. It reminds me of Matthew 25 and the ten virgins. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Who enters into the king's palace but the 144,000, the first fruits, the bride of Christ? Instead of your fathers shall be your children, whom you may make princes in all the earth. Well, if we're to make whoever this is talking about is to make people princes on the earth, what does that make you? A king and a priest in order to make princes in the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise you forever and ever. Will we be worshipped? Will we be praised forever and ever? Yes, we will. I just thought I would include this passage to indicate that the daughter of Tyre will still be there bringing a gift, and there is still a relationship that has not gone away, even at the end, between Israel and Tyre. Now let's notice Psalm 83. This one we have looked at several times to show that there is a conspiracy of people against Israel at the end time. It is very much a prophetic passage. Psalm 83. Keep not your silence, O God. Hold not your peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, your enemies make a tumult, and they that hate you have lifted up the head. Their people are going to lift up their head against God, and against his people, obviously, They have taken crafty counsel against your people. So they've lifted up against God and against his people and consulted against your hidden ones. God is going to hide his true people and there are those who will consult against them. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a people that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Now God has hidden not only the church and will hide the church, But in one sense, he has also hidden Israel, hasn't he? To this point, he has protected and kept Israel from being destroyed, from being invaded. He has sort of hidden us from the powers that be in this world. He set us over in America (laughs) and in Western Europe, out of the reach of the Gentiles for the most part. He's taken care of us. What were really the Puritans doing when they left England? They were trying to hide from tyranny. And God brought us over here and basically hid us from what could be done on the continent to us. So there's an application that could be made both to spiritual and to physical Israel here. Verse 5, For they have consulted together with one consent, their confederate against you. The tabernacles of Edom, and we'll see a direct connection here in a little bit with Edom, and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. So Tyre also turns 
against God's hidden ones. Interesting connection here. Asher also has joined with them, and they have helped the children of Lot. Uh, this is basically a combination of Gentiles and primarily Arabs who come against Israel, against God's hidden ones, and Tyre isn't included in that. We'll make a connection between some of the inhabitants of Tyre and what happens here at the end in a little while. Let's go, though, before that to Psalm 87. It's right here close. Well, I wanted to get into 86 first. Again, a prayer. Bow, bow down your ear, O Eternal. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. This is a prayer I think we could all pray. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O you, my God, save your servant You trust that trusts in you. The word here for holy in the Hebrew is one whom you favor. I don't know that you can call us necessarily holy, but God speaks of us that way in Peter, where he says we are a holy nation. So this could be speaking of us directly, speaking of the church. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for unto you, O eternal, do I lift up my soul. For you, eternal, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. He says, when we turn to him with our whole heart, we read last week, that we would find him. So he says, give ear, O eternal, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. We sing this in the hymn book. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. I think we sang this 30, 40, 50 years ago in the church and had no idea really what it meant. And then all these things came upon us. And now we're crying out in a day of trouble, and many of those hymns that we sang all those years now have a very direct meaning to us. Verse 8, Among the gods there is none like to you, O Eternal, neither are, your, are there any works like to your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Eternal, and shall glorify your name. This has to be absolutely an end-time passage, because there is no time when all nations will come and worship God until the millennium. So it has to be a prophecy of the end time. For you are great and do wondrous things. You are God alone. Teach me your way, O Eternal. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This could only be speaking of God's church at the end because it is a prophecy of the end time when the millennium will be ushered in. And he's talking about people who seek God. And there's only basically one body of people today who are seeking God in spirit and in truth, both of which are required to find God. There are a lot of people who have good feelings toward God, but they don't have the truth, and they cannot have the right spirit. So they're not truly seeking the eternal God. And he even says that here in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Eternal. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So seeking God has to do with his way and his truth. 
I will praise you, O eternal my God, with all my heart. That's what we're here to learn to do. And I will glorify your name forevermore, for great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the lowest grave. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. This is coming soon to a house near you, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy upon me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a token for good. We're looking for signs that God turns his face back to us, and we see a token for good. And they that which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, eternal, have helped me and comforted me. And at some point that's going to happen. Our enemies will be turned back, swallowed up, and we will be protected. His foundation, speaking of God, is in the holy mountains, verse chapter 87. The eternal loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. The church is Zion. We've read that many times in Hebrews 12. And God loves it more than all the gates of his people, of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Who is to be glorified? Zion, the 144,000, the church of God. Selah, or the rock. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Now, Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one of the faithful. But here he's talking about God's church, God's people, and in a larger sense, even ultimately physical Israel. He says, I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. He projects on into the millennium, and shows that the city of Zion, or God's people, will be the most prominent, okay? But others will be there as well. Some of those who have been associated with Israel, Gentiles on the outside, who may have even tried to destroy Israel, will also be there. It reminds me of Zechariah, where it says, not, not, not Zechariah, is it Zechariah? My brain sometimes fails me. Somewhere in there, it says that Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will be a third, a third, and a third in a millennial setting. But Zion will be the most prominent. Verse 6, the eternal shall count when he writes up the people that this man was born there, Selah, as well as the singers, as the players of instruments shall there be, all my springs are in you. I went to this one primarily because it shows again a relationship with Tyre that is going to be continued on, even into the millennium apparently. But there are going to be some woeful things that happen in the meantime. We'll get to those in a little bit. Let's go to Isaiah 23. Isaiah 23. Here is a whole passage. It is a burden of Tyre. 
Now, we have not spent any time yet in establishing whom Tyre might be here at the end, but here's a burden against it, and perhaps we'll begin to pick up some clues as to who modern-day Tyre might be. The burden of Tyre, howl, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in, for in the land of Chittim it is revealed to them. Now, Tyre was a tremendous merchant city. And here we find that the ships will howl. I remind you of scriptures we read in Revelation 17 and 18, when Babylon falls, the shipmasters will howl because trade is suspended, basically. And the nation, the city, that made the world rich can no longer do so. This is an interesting connection to that. Howl, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in. There's no merchant house, maybe no homes for that matter, and no entering into the harbor. What good would it do to go to Tyre? Because Tyre was scraped like a rock. And to sail there didn't get you a thing. You might as well go to a desolate beach on the east coast of Africa somewhere. From the land of Chittim, it is revealed to them. I think Chittim is, I looked up one time, uh, more like Cyprus. You know, you, you go like you're going to Tyre across the Mediterranean, and they tell you in Cyprus, no sense in going to Tyre, it's all wiped out. It's all scraped like a rock. Verse 2, be still, you inhabitants of the island, you whom the merchants of Zidon that pass over the sea have replenished. Tyre was sitting on an island. Eventually, a causeway was built out there to destroy it. That's the only way they could take it. Uh, New York City today is basically an island, and it has bridges, which could be sort of causeways, to connect it to the rest of this country, and it's certainly a huge harbor. And it's shaped like ancient Tyre. And by great waters, the seed of Sihor, the harvest of the river, is her revenue. Got the Hudson River coming right down through New York City today, and that's where the ships go. And she is a mart of nations. Greatest port on earth is New York City. Now, can we make the connection between ancient Tyre and say that very possibly New York City is, in end-time prophecy speaking, or is end-time prophecy speaking of New York instead of that city on the coast of Israel that was destroyed? You have to widen your perspective to understand biblical prophecy for the end. Let me recount some things which you may know but might fit in here to help us understand in Revelation 11, Jerusalem is called Sodom and Egypt, spiritually speaking. So God says that we can look at the end time upon Jerusalem as Sodom and Egypt. So some of the prophecies you read in the prophecies about Egypt, for instance, could be speaking of home.
Israel. Because God equates us to Sodom and Egypt. And you might even make the connection that the church is a type of Egypt today. Where has the church gone? Back into sin. Back into Egypt for the most part. And only a small remnant of people is remaining faithful to the truth. Um, Babylon took over Israel. And they were captivated by Satan's system. Look at Israel today. Is it really God's system that is ruling Israel today? Or is it the satanic Babylonian system that came out of Babel, ruling in Israel today? What are our gods? What are our symbols? Ezekiel 16. I won't turn back and read that. But it says, I look at Israel and your mother might as well be a Hittite and your father, I forget exactly what it says, but your parents are Gentiles. Now, were they really? No, God was their parent originally. But they said, I look at you today and you might as well have Gentile parents from the way you look. So he equates Israel to Gentiles today. Now Joseph, that is the U.S. and British Commonwealth, had their birth order changed. Remember Jeremiah 31? It says Ephraim is my firstborn. They weren't. But God at the end calls Ephraim the firstborn. Where is the church today for the most part? Aren't we the firstfruits? Aren't we to be the firstborn after Christ? I wonder if some of those things that we've read over the last few years indicating that the United States might be Ephraim and Britain, Manasseh, may not have some merit. I think there's a possibility there. But nonetheless, Joseph is called by one name. Ephraim and Manasseh were called Joseph, so they're part and parcel and bound together inextricably, so it really may not make too much difference. When you speak of America, you speak of Britain. When you speak of Britain, you speak of America in terms of prophecy. So Tyre was closely connected with Israel and may have even been within its borders. And people of Tyre dwelt in Israel and people of Israel dwelt in Tyre. So there is a connection there that is undeniable and could a nation of Israel then in end time prophecy be symbolic but how did I say that? Could a city of Israel be symbolic of ancient Tyre? Very possibly because we have all these other symbols even if it was a Gentile city we have all these other symbols that God himself clearly says equate to Gentiles. But he's speaking of Israel today and calling us a bunch of Gentiles. So we're no different. Our parentage looks the same. All right, let's go on here in Isaiah 23.
whoever this end-time tire is, it is a mart of nations. That's the marketplace that all the nations look to. Very, very similar to what we read in Revelation 17 and 18 about Babylon. And it may be that Babylon and Tyre are together. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed ancient Tyre. Someone brought up a point this week which I thought was interesting. I'll interject it here. George H.W. Bush today is literally the king of Babylon. Now, we've spoken of America today being a type of Babylon. But all throughout history, whenever one king would conquer another city and its king, what did he become? The king of the conquered city. When a king or a nation would conquer another nation, what did they become? The leaders, the rulers, the king, if you will, of the other nation that they conquered. What has George Bush recently done? He has conquered the ancient empire of Babylon, including the very site of ancient Babylon in Iraq. So if he conquered Iraq, he is now the king of Iraq, and thus the king of Babylon. I thought that was an interesting observation. So even though there may only be a symbolic tie-in with America as Babylon, as we saw in several sermons, there may even be a direct tie-in today. Verse 4, Be you ashamed, O Sidon, or Sidon. Sidon was a city that was very close to Tyre on the coast. For the sea has spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be sorely pained at the report of Tyre. Egypt, as an empire, and as a country, as a people, was completely, basically destroyed when God brought his people out of Egypt. And he says the report of Tyre is going to be the same. The sea has spoken in a sense that could be symbolic. So whoever this Tyre is, it's going to be demolished. Pass you over to Tarshish, howl you inhabitants of the island. Is this your joyous city whose antiquity is of ancient days? I think we could say that of New York City in that sense. It goes all the way back to the original 13 colonies and the Puritans coming over. The East Coast was developed first, obviously, hundreds of years ago. <coughs> her own feet shall carry her afar off to sojourn. She goes to foreign lands as a merchant city. Who has taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the honorable of the earth? I think you could use this language to describe New York City much the same way we used in describing Babylon. Entire may be today representative of our main market city and a symbol of our others. But isn't New York City the one that crowns you? Whether you are a trader in the 
stock markets or in the fashion world or in the garment industry or in sports or in rock music or movies? Where are most movies set? Where are most TV shows set today? Southern California or New York? When they start out a new movie, a movie usually, I, I don't know what percentage of the time, but very often they start out with a view of New York City or of Los Angeles, which I think can be shown Los Angeles to be the midst of Babylon along with the other cities. It's symbolic of our cities. Verse 9, the eternal of hosts has purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. God is going to bring down the merchants and the princes of Tyre and is going to be, the reverberations will be heard all around the earth. And the merchants will cry and wail. Pass through your land as a river, O daughter of Tarshish, there is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. This looks like an end-time prophecy, doesn't it? The Lord has given a commandment against the merchant cities to destroy the strongholds thereof. Now, there are many merchant cities on earth, but which is the merchant city today? Which city does everyone look to when the stock market shudders and shakes a little bit? Do they look to... China or Japan or one of the stock markets in Europe? No, they all look to New York. It is the merchant city. To destroy the strongholds thereof. And he said, You shall no more rejoice, O you oppressed virgin, daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Chittim. There also shall you have no rest. doesn't matter where you go. Uh, this is going to find you and destroy you. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, that was the ancient land of Babylonia, and I think we showed a lot of evidence several sermons back that America today is representative of Babylon and the land of Chaldea. This people was not till the Assyrian founded it for them that dwell in the wilderness. They set up the towers thereof, they raised up the palaces thereof, and he brought it to ruin. Uh, the Assyrians... Uh, may have destroyed Tyre at one time. History, the historians have not fully decided that. They don't have enough evidence, but they think that if you read their articles. And here it indicates that perhaps that is indeed true. And will the Assyrian be the rod of God's anger here at the end? Uh, very much involved. How, you ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste, and it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years, or after 70 years is a better translation. It shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten after 70 years. I think there is a very possible tie-in, and we've used this scripture before, between the history of the church in the middle of Babylon, and we had a big congregation in Tyre, if that is indeed New York City. And that after 70 years, according to the days of one king, I mean, this is a continuous period of time, just like one king started ruling in 20 and he quit ruling in 90, 70 years later. 
After, after the end of seventy years shall Tyre sing as an harlot. Take a harp, go about the city, you harlot that have been forgotten. After seventy years, she's going to be forgotten. Just sing. See if you can do yourself any good. See if anybody is going to come and buy your wares now. And it shall come to pass, after the end of seventy years, that the Eternal will visit Tyre. Now when God visits someone in prophecy, it doesn't mean to say, Hi, would you put on the fatted calf? And she shall turn to her hire and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. She's going to try to save herself, apparently, at the end of seventy years. But it isn't going to work. And her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to the eternal. Everything that she has made is going to be taken away and given, ultimately, to God's people. We think we're poor, we think we're neglected, we think we don't have much, and why do the heathen prosper, we say. And David said that in the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? Why are your people poor and always needing bread? And the wicked seem to prosper. Is that one of our emotions today? God says theirs is going to be taken away. It shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before the eternal, to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. God is going to take away all her wealth when he visits her, and he's going to give it to his people. So this is a prophecy against Tyre, who's going to try to save herself by selling herself to the world. God said, go ahead and sing, you harlots. Have we not seen in Ezekiel 16 and in those other sermons how the great harlot of Revelation 17 and 18 is America and Tyre is the merchant city probably that is symbolic of America's wealth today. Matthew 15, 21, I'm not going to turn to that one for sake of time. But Jesus visited Tyre during his ministry, Matthew 15, 21. And in Acts 21, 3, uh, there were disciples of the church in Tyre. Paul was there seven days, according to that passage. Have we had a church of God's people in New York? Yes, we have. How many remain? Not very many. Now here's one I think we ought to take to heart a little bit. Matthew 11, I will turn to this one. Matthew 11, verse 21. Well, let's see verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe to thee, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! cities of Israel. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Scary, isn't it? He spoke to 
the chosen people, and said, you've had every opportunity. And if I had spoken these same words in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented, but you won't. I won't go into a dialogue now about repenting sackcloth and ashes and fire and brimstone, but there's a message there. Notice now in Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Well, did I write that down wrong? I think I did. That's not the one I wanted. Well, the one that I intended, and I'm not sure, I, I must have written it wrong, indicate that all peoples will drink in of God's vengeance at the end. And it includes Tyre in there. Not, it, it just shows gives a whole bunch of people that are going to be destroyed and includes Tyre. But let's go to Ezekiel 26. <clears throat> Here is a major section about Tyre. It came to pass in the eleventh month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, because that Tyrus has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, that was the gates of the people. She has turned to me, I shall be replenished, now she is laid waste. Tyre turns against Jerusalem. Therefore thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes his waves to come up. I wonder if the leaders of our greatest market nation, the bankers that are there, the financial people, will turn against the people of Israel. And if that is indeed New York City, there is going to be a betrayal of the Israelite people by the leaders there. We'll make a little bit of a tie-in in a moment about some of the people who are there. Verse 3, Therefore thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes his waves to come up. Now I could go to many, many passages here to show that there is going to be a great coalition against Israel, against and destroy it. Uh, and against Babylon as well. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. What city has had some towers knocked down recently? How many more towers are there left to be knocked down? I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. Ancient Tyre had that done to it. And it appears that modern-day Tyre, if it is indeed New York City, has had a forewarning 
of the scraping that is about to come. Those towers came down and they have been scraped and hauled off. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. In other words, the commerce will stop, the market will stop. If there's anything there, it will just be open beach and fishermen. For I have spoken, it says the eternal God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. And her daughters, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword, and they shall know that I am the eternal. For thus says the eternal God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings, from the north, with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. Now there is a possible hole in all my theories. Of what we have seen so far. If Babylon is the USA, and Tyre is possibly in New York, how does Babylon destroy Tyre? Well, let's consider the nation, the primary nation of Israel today is the United States. We are the people of Israel, even though to God it looks like we got Gentile parents. We are in the captivity of the system of Babylon. Babylon is representative more of a civic organization or a rulership. So Washington, D.C., I think, equates to ancient Babylon as the uh, governmental arm. And Tyre, or if it be true, New York as a symbol, is the economic power. They go hand in hand. But could there be a betrayal? Could the civic rulers betray New York City to its death? Have we not possibly even already seen a glimpse of this? Because right now, today, there's an ongoing investigation in Washington, D.C., indicating that very, very possibly... The U.S. government knew of the attack on New York City and the Pentagon, for that matter, well ahead of time and did nothing to stop it. Is that a betrayal of the peoples of New York that will be multiplied and exacerbated in the future? I think it very possibly is. It may be a minor fulfillment of this prophecy that is about to happen in a very major way in the not-too-distant future. There are some other scriptures which might indicate this kind of betrayal. Uh, maybe I'll get to those when I get down to Hosea here a little later on. But keep that thought in mind. Verse 8. <clears throat> Speaking of the king of Babylon again, who is a king of kings from the north with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. So I think that we're going to have betrayal from our own government that will betray us to a coalition against America. Consider that the globalists and the global companies and corporations want to survive the Holocaust that is to come. So it is not American anymore. And even Bill Clinton, as I quoted to you recently, said in his speech 
before a large audience in, the, in Washington, D.C., that we really need, I'm paraphrasing and boiling it down, we really need to turn ourselves over to the United Nations. That's what he said in essence. And Washington is in the process of doing that this very day. Verse 8, he shall slay with the sword the daughters in the field, and she'll make a fort against you, and cast a mountain against you, and lift up the buckler against you. In other words, a siege, just as Nebuchadnezzar did to ancient Tyre. And he shall, shall set engines of war against your walls, and with his axes he shall break down your towers. Just translate that into modern weaponry, uh, submarines, bombs, uh, airplanes, whatever, instead of axes. And he shall set engines of wars against your walls, and with his axes he shall break down your towers. Mentions the towers again. By reason of the abundance of his horses, their dust shall cover you. Your walls shall shake at the noise of the horsemen and of the wheels and of the chariots when he shall enter into your gates as men enter into the city wherein is made a breach. The breach has already been made when the towers went down. They've knocked a hole in our confidence, and we've been running around ever since trying to find terrorists. And we can't even find the two that we want the most. Really a big embarrassment to Washington. With the hooves of his horses shall he tread down all your streets. He shall slay your people by the sword, and your strong garrison shall go down to the ground. Is there a tie with the Islamic peoples? I think there is, and we'll get to that a little later on when we discuss the king of the south. They shall make a spoil of your riches and make a prey of your merchandise. They shall break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. And they shall lay your stones and your timber and your dust in the midst of the water. Scrape it off into the sea. And I will cause the noise of your songs to cease and the sound of your harp shall be no more heard. He told them in Isaiah, sing like a harlot. Won't do you any good. Nobody's coming to buy it. It'll all cease. And I will make you like the top of a rock. You shall be a place to spread nets upon. You shall be built no more. For I, the Eternal, have spoken. It says the Eternal God. Thus says the Eternal God to Tyrus, Shall not your isle shake at the sound of your fall? When the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea shall come down from their thrones and lay away their robes and put off their broided garments they shall clothe themselves with trembling. They shall sit upon the ground and shall tremble at every moment and be astonished at you. Does that sound like Revelation 18? It's almost the same words. And they shall take up a lamentation for you and say to you, How are you destroyed that was inhabited of seafaring men? The renowned city, which was strong in the sea, she and her inhabitants, which caused their terror to be on all that haunt it. Everybody trembles today at the New York Stock Exchange. Now shall the islands tremble in the day of your fall. Yes, the islands that are in the sea shall be troubled at your departure. Islands can be, I think in the Hebrew, I didn't look up this particular word, but very often it's the coastlines, all the coasts of the earth. For thus says the eternal God, when I shall make you a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring up the deep upon you, and great waters shall cover you. 
when I shall bring you down with them that descend into the pit with the people of old time, and shall set you in the low parts of the earth, in places desolate of old, with them that go down to the pit, that you be not inhabited, and I shall set glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, yet you shall never be found again, says the eternal God. That great market city is going down, and it will never again arise. The word of the eternal came to me, saying, verse chapter 27, this continues, And say to Tyrus, O you that are situate at the entry of the sea, a port, a port again, which are a merchant of the people from many islands or coasts, thus says the eternal God, O Tyre, you have said, I am of perfect beauty. New York City is looked upon as the place to go the finest place to be. Now, that is not God's view. That is people's view. Where do our young people go to try to seek fame and fortune? New York City is the mecca of that. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. Marvelous city, people say. I don't know how it is that people think that cities are beautiful. <laughs> They're ugly to me and dirty and full of noise and too many people and too close uh, association and slums and crime and everything that God did not intend. And yet people look at them and say, oh, how glorious is that city. Got to go to New York or L.A. Yuck. Verse 5, they have made all your shipboards of fir trees of Sinir. They have taken cedars from Lebanon to make masks for you. Stuff from all over, in other words. And New York imports from all over the world. Of the oaks of Bashan have they made your oars. The company of the Asherites have made you benches of ivory, brought out of the islands of Chittim. Fine linen with broidered work from Egypt. And it just goes on and on about all the nice things. The inhabitants of Zidon, verse 8, and Arvid were your mariners. Your wise men, O Tyre, that were in you were your pilots. It's talking about worldwide commerce, just like Revelation 18. The ancients of Gebal and the wise men there were your caulkers. All your ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to occupy your merchandise. They of Persia and of blood and of foot were in your army, your men of war. They hanged the shield and helmet in you. They set forth your comeliness. Could this be the United Nations? Could this be even some of the Islamic countries? Persia, Lud, Foot, some of the coalition, and the coalition changes, comes and goes. The men of Arvad with your army were upon your walls round about, and the Gamma Dims, whoever they were, were in your towers. They hang their shields upon your walls round about. They have made your beauty perfect. Have we imported Gentiles? Do we have Gentile air bases and military machinery in America today? Yes, we do. We're allied with those peoples. Verse 12, Tarshish was your merchant by reason of the multitude of all kind of riches. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they traded in your fairs. 
Javan, Tubal, and Meshach. They were your merchants. We trade all over the world. That's into the east. Who are some of our biggest trading partners today? Eastern countries, China, Japan. They of the house of Tugarma traded in your fairs with horses and horsemen and mules. There again, speaking of peoples of the east. The men of Dedan were your merchants, and many isles or coasts were the merchandise of your hand. They brought you for a present horns of ivory and ebony. Syria was the merchant by reason of the multitude of the wares of your making. They occupied in your fairs with emeralds, purple, embroidered work, and fine linen, and coral, and agate. What are some of the things people like to have when they're rich and have nice things? Persian rugs. Things from the Mideast. Judah, verse 17, in the land of Israel, they were your merchants. They traded in your market wheat of minnith and painag and honey and oil and balm. Israel is one of our big trading partners today. Damascus was your merchant, and the merchant, uh, merchandise, or what does it say, the multitude of your wares of your making. In other words, we sent it all over the world, Mideast, East, all over the West. Verse 19, Dan also and Javan going to and fro occupied in your fairs, bright iron, Cassia, and Calamus were in your market. Uh, verse 21, Arabia. 22, the merchants of Sheba and Rehama, they were your merchants. They occupied in your fairs with chief of all spices, with all precious stones and gold. It just goes on and on. Verse 24, these were your merchants in all sorts of things, in blue clothes, embroidered work. Where's the fashion center of the world? Paris, an Israelite city, and New York. I just saw an article that indicates that the fashion industry is about to go bananas because this one fellow named Ford is retiring. And, and uh, they're going to now, instead of looking to uh, Saks Fifth Avenue and what was the other one? Oh, Gucci. Looks like it's headed down after going way up. They said pretty soon everyone is going to be shopping at Target and that the fashion designers are going to be making things for Target instead of Gucci. So we might be right in style, people. In other words, there are already signs of cracks in one of the major uh, industries of New York City. That was just in one of the news magazines from this week. Uh, verse 26, your rowers have brought you into great waters. The east wind has broken you in the midst of the seas. Your riches, riches in your fairs. Well, what's a fair? Fair is where you show off the things that you've made. Or a fashion show. Or however, whatever market you want to do. Where do they show it off? Well, they like to show it off in New York. Jewelry, clothes, whatever. Verse 28, the suburbs shall shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. Not just the center and the financial ends, but the suburbs as well. And all that handle the oar, the mirrors, and all the pilots of the sea shall come down from their ships. They shall stand upon the land. It won't do any good to sail anymore because there's nothing to haul. And shall cause their voice to be heard against you, and shall cry bitterly, and shall cast up dust upon their heads. They shall wallow themselves in the ashes. Sounds just like Revelation 18. And they shall make themselves utterly bald for you, and gird them with sackcloth, and they shall weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. 
And in their wailing they shall take up a lamentation for you and lament over you, saying, What city is like Tyre, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares went forth out of the seas, you filled many people. You did enrich the kings of the earth with a multitude of your riches and of your merchandise. Revelation 18 might have been just quoted from this. In the time when you shall be broken by the seas in the depths of the waters of your merchandise, and all your company in the midst of you shall fall. All the inhabitants of the island shall be astonished at you, and their kings shall be sore afraid. Even their riches will be destroyed when the economic system goes, which is centered in New York. All the inhabitants of the island shall be astonished at you, and their kings shall be sore afraid. The merchants among you shall hiss at you. You shall be a terror and never shall be any more. Let's see, what, what time is it? Man. Well, let me quickly cover 28 to end, end this section. Uh, the word of the eternal came to me saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, you have, you, thus says the eternal God, because your heart is lifted up, who is prouder than New York? And you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. If there's any city that lifts itself up and says, I rule the world, it would be New York. Yet you were a man, and not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. We think we're indestructible. We saw a little chink get knocked in that armor recently, but up until now we have thought we were impregnable, untouchable. Can't hurt us. We're just like God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that they can hide from you. Everything proceeds out of and comes back to New York. And then he goes on and, and brings this down to show that it is symbolic of Satan himself. We recently went over that, so I'm not going to go through this whole thing, because the prince of Tyre and Satan ultimately are the same thing, because those who rule Tyre are under the influence of Satan, and he is the prince of Tyre, even though he manipulates human leaders of these peoples. And I think that's enough of that, uh, so I'm going to stop right there today. We're getting close to the time, but a good introduction and, and actually getting very close. And how much tape do we have left back there? Ten minutes? Let's give this a shot. Let's go to Hosea 9. I'd like to finish this today and get on to something else next time instead of coming back to it. Hosea 9. Rejoice not, O Israel, for, for joy as other people, for you have gone a-whoring from your God. You have loved a reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. In other words, our, our whole emphasis has been materiality and good jobs and money. Maybe that's why in some cases the church today does not have much money, because we need to be changing 
our focus. God will not let us starve to death, but he may let us change our focus. And what better way to change that than taking away the wealth that the rest of Israel perhaps is enjoying and let us go without and begin to trust in God. That is one of the primary things God has always done throughout history. We get fat, we get sassy, we get wealthy, and we almost immediately forget God. And when it is taken away, what do we begin to do? Well, we start getting on our knees and seeking God. Wow. Talks about how it will be taken into captivity. Uh -oh. Now, where do I want to get down here? Okay, let's, let's go on down to verse 8. It talks about destruction. It says, The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways, and hatred in the house of his God. So whether Ephraim be America or whether Ephraim be Britain, we're both Joseph and tied together here, so it's speaking of one and the same. So let's include ourselves here as well as the Brits. They have deeply, deeply corrupted themselves, verse 9, as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore he will remember their iniquity, he will visit their sins. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. That includes us. From the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them that to them when I depart from them. Now God has protected us because of his promise to Abraham. But woe when he departs. Ephraim, as I saw Tyre, is planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Now Ephraim includes, I think, America today. And perhaps we even are Ephraim. Were we planted like Tyre in a pleasant place? Is New York in a pleasant place? Yes, it is. It's on the coast, has the river, has the island, has essentially good weather and greenery. A very pleasant place, <laughs> well, until man did what he did to it, but it tends tend to be that way. They have beautiful fall colors there and trees and so on. Give them, O Eternal, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Do they bring forth their children to the murderer? Is abortion throughout our land? It's pretty well. Do we have a lot of people now who are miscarrying and having problems because of Terrible health? Yes, we do. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Revolting from God. Now, Jeremiah 31 says that Ephraim is his firstborn. And we are the first fruits. And most of the church is in America today. There are some in the United Kingdom, but most of it was here. 
So perhaps the emphasis is to us more than it is to our brother across the seas. Uh, Genesis 49 does not list Ephraim and Manasseh. It lists just Joseph, lumps them together as one tribe. Um, there is some indication of betrayal, Jeremiah 50:15. I mentioned this a little earlier and said to keep it in mind because we saw an indication of betrayal maybe of Babylon against Tyre. Here in Jeremiah 50:15 is a prophecy against Babylon. Uh, but it says, it says in verse 15, Jeremiah 50, Shout against her roundabout, she has given her hand. It's almost like she has given herself over to her destroyers. So there is perhaps betrayal here. Verse 17, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria has devoured him, and last this king of Babylonian has broken his bones. A coalition of Assyrians combined with our own Babylonian government conspiring to destroy us. Let's not, let's, Amos, eight, uh, Amos 1 now. Amos 1. I'll quickly wrap this up. Verse 9, Amos 1, 9. Thus says the Eternal, For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because... Here's the reason, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and remembered not the brotherly covenant. Quickly notice Genesis 27, 39. Genesis 27. Now here is where Joseph had been given the blessing, or Jacob, excuse me, and Esau wanted some, having given up his birthright. And there wasn't anything left really to give. But what was given? Verse 39, And Isaac his father answered and said to him, to Esau, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword shall you live and shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you shall have the dominion that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherein with his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And the Edomites have been trying to destroy Jacob ever since. And in the prophecy here, it indicates that they will be part and parcel with the destruction of Jacob, which is Ephraim, Manasseh, and the tribes of Israel. At the end time, this will happen. Where today are many, many Edomites, Esauites, centered? In the banks of Europe and New York City. And they will break the yoke of Jacob off their neck, and they will be a great part of the destruction of Israel in the end time. We read that in the Minor Prophets series. There's a whole book devoted to it in Obadiah. New York City is the banking center, and that is where the betrayal and the destruction of Jacob, I think, will also center. One more reference and we'll stop, Zechariah 9. This is definitely an end-time prophecy, and I include this one primarily to show 
that all these things we have talked about aren't something just for an ancient city, because Zechariah is an end-time book, if there is such a thing. Zechariah 9. Uh, let's see, where do I want to pick this up? I wanted to read the whole thing, but I won't because of sake of time. The burden of the word, well, let's start in verse 1. The burden of the word of the eternal in the land of Hadrach uh, and Damascus shall be the rest thereof. When the eyes of man, as of all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the eternal. So this is an end-time prophecy. And Hamath, which is in Syria, also shall border thereby. Tyre and Zidon, though it be very wise. And Tyrus did build herself a stronghold, and heaped up silver as the dust, and fine gold as the mire of the streets, Wall Street. Behold, the Eternal will cast her out, and he will smite her power in the sea. Now this is the end time when all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Eternal. This is the beginning of the end, and Israel will then turn to God in the millennium. So this is what is leading up to that. And Tyre will be destroyed right at the end time. The Eternal will cast her out and he will smite her power in the sea and she shall be devoured with fire. An absolute end time prophecy. It's not an ancient prophecy. But it is the harbinger of the millennium and the world tomorrow. So these prophecies against Tyre are for now not an ancient city. And perhaps that is even New York City. So we'll stop there and pick it up somewhere next week.